turn to Haggai, and that's where we will be this morning again. Just um, kind of continuing our our look at uh, the short book here in the Bible. Which anybody remember anything special about the book of Haggai in the sense of just fact? For sure. More along the lines of just knowledge kind of fact, not necessarily the history. There you go. Also, there's the only book in your Bible that has two chapters. Kind of interesting. Um, Just kind of an interesting fact. If that ever comes up on a Bible trivia game you're playing, you'll know the answer to that one now. But the only book that has only two chapters. There you go. So kind of remembering, again, now, now kind of getting back into the, kind of the history kind of aspect of it. As Andy kind of already mentioned here, it was kind of after, he started saying after who, kind of, kind of in the time of Ezra in a way on that. Ezra talks about the events that are kind of happening in here. So what had, with the point in the history where we're at in Israel, kind of what, what are some big events that had kind of already happened? From, so this is after, again, after the Babylonian captivity, it, the kingdom period of Israel's done. That's been happened after, and of course, the northern tribes got taken captive by who? Assyria, about 150-some years or before Judah got taken captive for the last time in 586, roughly, B.C. So this is after that. Remember, Jeremiah prophesied 70 years after that. So at the end of around that time, what happened with Babylon then? Babylon got conquered, of course, by the alliance of the Medes and the Persians, kind of became known as the Persian Empire. It's kind of what it um, became known as after that. Who is kind of the king of Persia that conquered Babylon? Or the sea. Cyrus the Great, right? Became known as Cyrus the Great. Of course, they conquered Babylon. Daniel talks about some of the stuff with along those lines. Of course, there's a lot of prophets that prophesied about that. <coughs> Isaiah actually named Cyrus by name. And I think it's Isaiah 48 or something like that. Actually named Cyrus by name in his prophecies and everything. And it's really interesting. God calls him my servant who set you up to do things, basically, which he did. So it says in the first year of his reign in Cyrus, what did he do? He made a decree for what? Made a decree. He said, the Lord God of heaven basically put it, in my, put it on my heart to build him a house. Who of you of all his people will go, basically? Paraphrasing that a little bit. And so that happened, and kind of, I'm sure the Jews had made a lot of preparations for that before they finally went back, but then they did go back. The group, I think it was like 50,000, actually went back the first time, so it's not like it was just a handful. There was a lot of people that went back. So they get back in the land. What's the first thing that they did? They built the altar, which again, good for them. They didn't just start rebuilding the walls, right? They started priorities right. They did start their priorities right. They started with building the altar. That's where sacrifices were made to God. So then what happened after that? 
they started rebuilding the temple. Things weren't all hunky-dory with it. Of course, there are enemies round about them. There are enemies just north of them, which were kind of the beginnings of who? The Samaritans, kind of. Again, those are those people. Where did they come from? Just kind of pulling all of Sunday school from the last year and a half and stuff here together for you. But who kind of had put them there? Remember the, when the Assyrians conquered Israel, their kind of policy was they basically just like switch people around. Like they brought people from other people that they had conquered and basically put them in Israel in what's known as Samaria area. They displaced them, brought the Jews to captive, brought the other people here. And that's that mixed people group kind of intermingling then with the Jews that were there. And that's kind of how the Samaritan, beginning of the Samaritans then, Kings, I don't remember, I think Second Kings, there's a chapter there that talks about that whole um, situation and everything that was going on there. So again, Jews are back here after Babylon, and then those are their enemies there that are hindering them. Of course, then they're also writing letters to the Persians, lying about them basically, and trying to hinder them from doing what God had told them to do, right? You know, God didn't just let them go back just to go back right? He sent them back, one, for a reason. What I mean, I guess you could think of it, what was Israel's entire purpose as a people from since, like, Abraham? <laughs> to be light in the world, basically. To be different. To be an example of, what, of God to the world around them. Again, so God had a purpose for them going back. Again, that's just a miracle in and of itself that a displaced people back as a unique people group with their own language, all that kind of thing. Just, we talked about a lot of that in the apologetics stuff, just the miracle of all that. So they're back. They weren't just back to do whatever. God sent them back with a reason, to rebuild his house, to be a light to the world. So after they get opposition is kind of happening with the temple, what happened? They're, they, of course, their enemies did right to the Persians, and then King Artaxerxes, or um, one of them specifically, said, okay, yep, we've seen, we look back at the records, we've seen, no, it's a rebellious city, you know, tell them just to stop building until you hear anything further. And, of course, then they were really happy about that, and they meant, made them stop. Granted, it was a little voluntary on the Jews to actually do that, you know, because God did tell them to do it. But they stopped building, and it was for about 15 years that the work, you know, the foundations, they started laying it, but then the opposition hit and they just stopped. And the work on the temple had stopped for about 15 years by this time here. And then after that is when the Lord sent some men to stir up his people to start doing what they're supposed to be doing again. Actually, hold your place here in Haggai and then turn back to Ezra, as was mentioned. Ezra kind of talks about this whole time, kind of, he covers about, remember the exact time frame, but probably about 80-some years of history in his book. He wasn't a part of all of that. If you go to Ezra chapter 4, um, look at verse 23 here. Ezra 4, verse 23 it says, now when the copy of King Artaxerxes' letter was read before Rehum and Shimshai the scribe and their companions, they went up in haste 
to Jerusalem under the Jews and made them to cease by force and power. This is when they're stopped. So then ceased the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. So it ceased under the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Then the prophets, Haggai the prophet, here you go, chapter 5, verse 1. And the prophets, Haggai the prophet, and Zechariah the son of Iddo, prophesied unto the Jews that were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel even unto them. Then rose up Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel and Jeshua the son of Jozadak and began to build the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. And with them were the prophets of God helping them. So you see Haggai and then Zechariah. And then, of course, Haggai, his specific, you see what he actually, um, the message from God was, is his book here, the book of Haggai, which we started looking at that. And then actually Zechariah, the next book in your Bible, was the other one that was mentioned right there. So again, kind of getting back here, the Lord had given his people a great responsibility to rebuild his house. But their circumstances obviously weren't great, were they? They weren't ideal circumstances to be doing what God had told them to do. They needed some encouragement. We've already seen the message that was delivered, the charges God laid to them. All these problems that are going on in your life is because you're not doing what I told you to do. And they responded rightly. To it and they started building. We saw that in Ezra and then we saw it in Haggai last week. So again, just kind of getting back to some things. We saw Haggai was written the second year of Darius, about 520-521 BC time frame-ish. Um, they're dated. We see that. We saw some of those last week. And it's interesting, Haggai apparently began his ministry in the first part of Haggai about two months before Zechariah came on the scene. Because you see in verse 1 of Haggai 1, it says in the second year of Darius the king in the sixth month, Zechariah's first prophecy in his book is dated in the eighth month, but it's about, so it's kind of interesting. Um, about Zechariah came on the scene apparently about two months later-ish in here. Of course, the Lord used Haggai to bring attention to the people's sin and the reason for their calamities that were going on. To encourage them to fulfill the task given them, fulfill it through God's power and to show his faithfulness and the blessings that were lay in store for their obedience. Of course, we already saw us the second shortest book in the Old Testament. We actually looked at the shortest one last time in Obadiah. But it, and if you can remember as well from last week that Haggai claims divine origin many times. It's not said, the word of Haggai to, it's thus saith the Lord to the Jews. Again, remember, he was the only one with the name of Haggai in the Bible. Don't, not much is known about him besides that. So there's kind of a general outline. We kind of already looked at it last week. Their challenge to rebuild. Their, um, now we're looking at kind of this second one here. God gives them some encouragement now. You know, we're going to see to his people after their obedience, after they started obeying. And then we'll see some kind of next week kind of covers those last two kind of points there. Their blessing and defilement, and a special word is Zerubbabel himself, actually. We'll look at that next week. Again, we kind of already looked at the background. The, um, they started building, got discouraged, and they stopped. It's interesting here. So speaking specifically today, we're going to look at chapter 2, and we'll read verses 1 to 9. So we'll go around the room and read those. So Haggai 2... And then verses 1 to 9, I'll start in verse 1. It says, In the seventh month, in the one and twentieth day of the month, this is about a month after the end of 
chapter 1, came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and to the residue of the people, saying, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory, and how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it is nothing? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, son of Josedek, and the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, saith the Lord, and work for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I heard with you, and you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you, fear you not. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. So we see you now after a prompt and a positive response to his message that he delivered in chapter 1, um, the people began to build. They, a positive example of responding to God's word, they rose up and they started building again. The work to which they were called to do. But as the work progressed, again this is about a month after they started or so, another problem seems to kind of have picked up in everything here. It seems that Pessimism was growing among the people concerning the house that they were building. Now, it seemed that this new temple was going to be really insignificant compared to Solomon's that he had built and everything before. And adding to that is like, we don't even have the resources to do this. To do it, what God had told him to do here. This is really interesting. It says, although the people had a gloomy pessimism, the pe God had a great plan. And in this statement right here, the Lord always pays for what he orders. That's a really interesting thought. You think about that. The Lord always pays for what he orders. Think about that. He tells you to do something, he gives you the grace to do it, or the resources to do it. He makes it happen. He pays for what he orders. That's a really think about that. Think about that in your own life <laughs> on stuff. The Lord pays, always pays for what he orders. So let's jump right in here kind of to our um, believing that, talking about us today. Now, we kind of got the same tendencies, you know, towards discouragement when it comes to doing what God's called us to do in our lives. So in this message here from Haggai to the people, we'll see some help and some hope that are given to them and some applications for us today on that. You know, we like they can learn little is much when God is in it. The reason to pick that song this morning. Little is much when God is in it. So there's several things offered here to kind of encourage us and them when the service seems significant, insignificant, and the resources seem insufficient. So let's jump right in here. First thing is exercise faith in him. Because you see that 
Um, we read the first couple verses there. You know, there's an obvious and a strong connection between faith in God himself and faith in his word. Think of the Joshua 1.8. Probably most of you could probably quote that. No, I think it's this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. And it continues there. God's presence promised there to Joshua in that specific situation. Romans 10.17. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith is faith in what God has said, which is hinged on who he is. So there's a connection between faith in God himself and then his word. His faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And it's interesting, I didn't go back and count these, but no less than nine times in these verses, God affirms, he's affirmed as the source of the message that's delivered here. That's a lot. In accomplishing anything, we have to learn to rely, completely rely upon a couple things here. First one is God's promise. Look in verse 4. Remember how we, we saw this last week, but look at the verse here. It says, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and be strong. Three be strongs. All ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work. For I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. And if you look back to verse um, 13 of the previous chapter, Chapter 1, verse 13. Again, this is after they started obeying again. Then spake Haggai, the Lord's messenger, and the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you. So that's two times God said, I'm with you now, here. You know, God wants us to base our lives on his word. There's a couple examples there. Second Timothy 3, again, probably familiar with that one, though. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, know that the man of God be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. God's word. Hebrews 11. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, and it goes back to verse 6, but without faith, it's what? Impossible to please him. He that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. But again, faith is based on his word. Now, God always keeps his word. He talks about that so much in like um, reading in the prophets and stuff like that. You know, he talks about his people, and he says, they don't think I keep my word, but I'm going to show you that I keep my word in lots of different situations and stuff like that. And his promises are just as good today as they've always been. Do they age? Do they get worse with age? <laughs> no. Always the same, right? There's strength for a walk and strength for the work. I am with you. His promise here. And continue it here. His presence. The Lord himself is personally involved in what he calls us to do. So we see, again, not only with them, he talks about basically, be strong, your pa my power, I'm with you, my presence. You know, his presence also assures us of the authority 
and the ability to carry out his mission. And there's a lot of different verses and kind of everything given here. Think of the Matthew 28, you know, that's the Great Commission passage. We talked about that. We looked at that last week. No, it says, Lo, I am with you always in connection with the Great Commission, what he's told us to do. Um, John 7, John 14, talk about the Holy Spirit. Know that we have the, um, the ability to have that in our lives as believers. Talks about, no, Acts 1 8, you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Hebrews 13 5, um, similar there. Exodus 29, this is actually a, um, some interesting verses here, but actually go to, put your finger here and go to Exodus 33, I think is the, um, the passage I'm thinking of here. Exodus 33. This is after Moses has been up on the mount, and he, and he and Joshua come back, and the people have the calf and the judgment and all that kind of situation. So now Moses is back up on the mount again. And then if you go to um, Exodus 33... Verse 12, actually, I take that back. Moses is, is not on the mount at this point. He, um, I think he will later, but he's actually not at this point. Uh, Exodus 33, verse 12, says, And Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou mayest see, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight and consider that this nation is thy people. Now, that's God speaking here, verse 14, and he said, my presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. Next verse, Moses again. And he said unto him, if thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. God's saying, my presence be with you, Moses. Like, if you're not going to be with us, don't even care. <laughs> it's not worth it, basically. And he continues um, some other things there with looking at that. But it's interesting, you know, God's presence. You know, that was, God had called Moses to lead those people, those complaining, troubling, murderous, <laughs> idolatrous people, lead them around in the wilderness for 40, well, not didn't call him to do that, but he called him to lead him to the promised land. They chose to wander in the wilderness, and God said, my presence is going to be with you, and then Moses, if, if your presence isn't, if you're not going to go with us, it's, it's not worth it. <laughs> Don't go with us. But God's involved personally in what he calls us to do, and it assures us again, as I said already, the, of the authority and then the ability to do it, of what he's called us to do. In this situation, God has to talked to them and told them, no, build this house. We've already seen the opposition that happened. And then now turn back to Ezra again. You know, once they rose up and started building again, it wasn't all hunky-dory. Because actually, look here, it's kind of interesting. We've already read verse, we've already read chapter 5. Remember talking about after they stopped building, Haggai and Zechariah started prophesying. Verse 2. Then rose up Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Jozadek, and began to build the house of God 
which is at Jerusalem. And with them were the prophets of God helping them. At the same time came to them Tatnai, governor on this side the river, and Shetharbosnai and their companions, and said thus unto them, Who hath commanded you to build this house and to make up this wall? And he continues on there, verse 5, But the eye of their God was upon the elders of the Jews, that they could not cause them to cease, till the matter came to Darius. And then they returned to answer by letter concerning this matter. The copy of the letter that Tatnai, governor on this side of the river, and Shetharbosnai and his companions, the Epharsakathites, which were on this side of the river, sent unto Darius. They're gonna, so they start building, and their enemies come back, say, what are you doing? Why are you building this house again? Did they, but they didn't stop this time. But their enemies are harassing them again. And they're writing a letter again to the, to the king here. And he continues, they, the letter is kind of the rest of chapter 5 there. Verse, chapter 6, verse 1. Then Darius the king made a decree, and search was made in the house of the rolls, where the treasure rolls were laid up in Babylon. And he continues, and, they, and he finds Cyrus's original decree that was sent here. Now look at verse 6 of chapter 6. Now therefore, Tatnai, governor beyond the river, Shether Bosnai and your companions, the Epharsicathites, which are beyond the river, be ye far from hence. Leave them alone. Let the work of this house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews build this house of God in his place. Moreover, I make a decree that what ye shall do to the elders of these Jews... For the building of this house of God, that of the king's goods, even of the tribute beyond the river, forthwith expenses be given unto these men, that they be not hindered. Remember, they didn't have enough resources? They do now. And, of that, and that which they have need of, both young bullocks and rams and lambs, for the burnt offerings of the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, and oil, according to the appointment of the priests which are at Jerusalem. Let it be given them day by day without fail, that they may offer sacrifices of sweet savors unto the, king, unto the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and of his sons. And I also I have made a decree that whosoever shall alter this word, let timber be pulled down from his house, and being set up, let him be hanged thereon. And let his house be made a dunghill for this. And the God that hath caused this name, his name to dwell there, destroy all kings and people that shall put to their hand to alter and destroy this house of God, which is at Jerusalem. I, Darius, have made a decree, let it be done with speed. Again, it wasn't all hunky-dory when they started building again. There was still resistance. But because of their obedience, God turned the tables on their enemies. And he continues now, again, so that's kind of not something that's mentioned here in Haggai, but something that was going on during this time and happening and everything here. So not only did God, we talk about, um, to exercise faith in him, but also to focus on the task at hand. You know, this group of people, they didn't have the means or ability to make the temple great. Only God could, right? They didn't have the resources in and of themselves, until God stepped in. Now, our responsibility isn't to do some, something that others will think great. Our responsibility is to faithfully do what God has commissioned us to do, what God's told us to do. 
Think about the song, no. Little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth and fame. First Corinthians 4, 2, that's that verse, no moreover it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Now the Lord had called them to rebuild this house, not to compare it with the previous one. You're to build this one, don't worry about the past. Look, get past the past, basically. And think about us. If we'll focus on obeying him and what he's given us to do, God will make that great. You know, all the former house was beautiful, and think of the Shekinah glory, God's presence there filling the temple. This temple that they were building here, if you look at verse 9, the glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, talking about Solomon's temple. That's kind of, I don't think about that. It's going to be greater for several reasons. Verse 1. Look at verse... Um, Verse 6, for thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once, it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. This temple that they were building here would be the one that God himself, God incarnate, would walk in. The Lord Jesus Christ in his day would be the one that he walked, worked, and worshipped in. If you can remember to John, he was there a lot, wasn't he? <laughs> he was in there a lot. But this temple that they were building, obviously they didn't necessarily know that, but this temple was where God incarnate himself would come the desire of all nations that God would be with them, literally. That God himself will ultimately build and fill another temple one day during uh, the millennium time. Again, that's a different, not something we're talking about there. Ezekiel talks about that a lot and everything there. But think about God's, we saw God's person again, talking about why this temple here for them was going to be greater, not only because of God's person, but also because of God's power. You know, he promises to supply his power to us for what he's called us to do, not necessarily what we want to do, but for what he's called us to do. And that power will be evidenced through his presence with his people. Think of Acts 1.8. But ye shall receive power... After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth there. Talking about God's presence and his power. Both of them, you can see them in that verse there. And also, interesting, uh, well, actually, we'll continue on. I'll say that, say that for a little bit. Expect his fulfillment. Not only did we see um, earlier talking about um, exercising faith in him. This is kind of for us. Focus on our task at hand, but expect him to fulfill. When relying upon God and when we're focusing on the task that he's given us to do, he can be expected to fulfill what he's promised. 
all of it. Let's see what can be expected. God's provision, first of all. Look in um, verse 8. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. Those were two uh, very common building materials in the temple, weren't they? Of Solomon's especially. Think of all the uh, resources, you know, the David and Solomon. And a lot of people saved up for that. But whose is it really? Silver's mine, is God talking. Silver's mine, the gold's mine, saith the Lord of hosts. No, the people that Haggai's preaching to, they didn't have the money and the materials like David and Solomon did to build it. But God has no shortage. He doesn't have supply chain issues of resources to do what he called us to do. You know, as the song goes, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Wealth in every mind. You know, his strength is shown to be perfect in our weakness. And it talks about that reference there. You know, looking back to Paul, you know, talking about his, his um, thorn in the flesh. You no, know, talking about God. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. God speaking to him. There. He fulfills his promises and he will provide if we trust him and obey. If we put action to our belief. Of course, Matthew 6.33, again, you're familiar with that, no, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things that are talked about previously shall be added unto you. Again, the means of life is talked about there. So not only do we, should we expect God's provision, we can also expect God's peace in it here. You know, the people would find a great peace from committing themselves and their work to the Lord. So today, we can have peace in relying on him, the Prince of Peace. Think of Romans 5.1, and then Philippians 4.7 talks about the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, to keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And then an interesting thing, if you look at verse 9 here. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Someone go to Matthew 27, verse 51, and then volunteer to go read there. Anybody? Go ahead, Andy. Um, then re Go ahead and read it once you get there. Matthew 27, verse 51, again. Back in their day, God's speaking to his people there, talking about the temple, this temple that they're building. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. That's Jesus is on the cross. That temple, that veil that separated God and man, if you're going to think of it that way. Of course, that was in the Holy of Holies there, where no God's presence, no talking about the holy place, that kind of thing there, that was rent from top to bottom. The way to God was made possible now, directly. Talking about Christ, we have one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Again, speaking of that temple there, 
in this place will I give peace, God says. So think about us today. Now, often, you know, we don't have the resources, right, to do what God's called us to do. You know, as individual people, as families, as a church family, what's our job? What are we supposed to be doing? You could probably talk about several different things, but what are some? Being what? Supposed to be a light. Follow his will. Think about Matthew 28, the commission that we've been given. No, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to, I think that's Mark 15, preach the gospel to, to every creature. He talks about, and then Matthew 28, no, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Going to all the world, and um, I'm, I'm skipping, I'm missing it there, but you know what I mean. I'm saying that there. To be salt and light. You know, often, think of these people here, like us, they didn't have all the, res- they didn't have the resources to do all of that, the temple. They didn't have, um, maybe they didn't have the time. Maybe they were too busy. God reprimanded them that in first in chapter one. Is it time for you to dwell in your sealed houses? <laughs> and my house lies waste. But um, when we do what God's called us to do, we're promised His power and His presence. Isn't that what everybody wants? I think every single person here would say, "Yeah, we want God's presence in my life." You know, in our family, in my family, in my church in our church, that comes when we do what he's called us to do. And that, and think of that statement earlier in here. The Lord always pays for what he orders. Think of, remember that in your life. The Lord always pays for what he orders. Whether that's your life and your family as a church what he's called us to do what he's ordered he always pays for it he always takes the bill our jobs think of we saw this in study of John um, John chapter 2 his jobs to turn the water into wine our jobs just to obey just to do what he told us to do and he takes care of turning the water into wine Let's pray. Lord, as we, uh, again, just kind of come before you again this morning, we again think of the the people there in that day who they didn't have the resources or the ability or the the resources were insufficient and what they were doing seemed insignificant. But it's what you told them to do and told them to focus on what they were doing and not worry about it being great because you would make it great. So we think about us in our lives today, interpersonally, in our families, and in our church. And know sometimes what you call us to do seems impossible and hard or insignificant. But you always pay for what you order. And as we let this lesson kind of just sink in, 
Again, there's some things that um, I'm sure that you've pointed out in our lives. I know you pointed out something in mine. And I trust that it's the same for others as well, that we would have faith in you and then in your word, that you always pay for what you order. That we would step out by faith and be more of what you've called us to do and to be. Because when we do that, we're promised your power and your presence. And I pray for the service to come. This will be with Pastor as he um, opens your word shortly and continues uh, as we look in First Peter again. That we just be able to stay awake and focused and alert on what you've called us to do and to listen here and um, get something from your word today. In Jesus' name, amen.